natives are restless this morning. All right. Just want to welcome everyone to our services today and, uh, and for on our 4th of July weekend. And uh, just want to welcome everyone here. I see where a number of people are not here this morning, and uh, it's a busy weekend, but uh, we just want to welcome everyone here today. Uh, there are no announcements in particular in the bulletin. Uh, are there any announcements that need to be made this morning? I know Ian has something. Anyone else? Ian? Just got a couple of announcements as we get started. If I can find my notes. Uh, just a, a reminder, these are things we've been talking about, but of a couple of events coming up in the next month. So just about one month from now, so today's the first Sunday in July, and the first Sunday of August is August 6th, and we're going to have a baptism that Sunday morning. So we won't be meeting in this room. We'll be meeting down at Lake St. George State Park. Uh, at 10.30, the usual time, and we'll have our, our worship service down there uh, with a baptism as a part of that service and then a cookout to follow. And so that's the first Sunday of the month, so that ties together well with our, our first Sunday potluck. Um, so just a couple of things for, for the baptism. We've got, I think, three folks interested in getting baptized. If anyone else hasn't been baptized and is a Christian, let us know. We'd love to get you wet. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and f for the rest of you, I just encourage you to, to, to get excited about this and have a sense of anticipation that this is, a, this is a, a, a wonderful thing to happen in the life of our church where, you know, every year or so we've got a baptism and we see, um, you know, Christians who either are growing or for the first time sort of taking the step of baptism um, to, to proclaim the glories of what Christ has done in their lives by washing them of their sin and raising them to new life. And so um, let's, let's have this be a celebration, right? This isn't just like an obligation. We call it an ordinance, but it's a, it's a celebration, right, to be able to do this. Uh, and uh, the other thing to mention is that, so that's August 6th is the baptism. It's a Sunday. And the next, the following Saturday, the Saturday after that is August 12th. And that's the community cookout. And so keep that in mind as well. And I know, I'm sure Dean will be giving us more details over the next month or so about that. But keep in mind how you might be able to help in setting that up. And more than just getting the details put together, um, I'd encourage you to be there, to show up, and then also to invite friends and family to be there. We're going to have a bunch of food and some live music. And it's going to be, it, it, the first, first week of August is going to be a real celebration at Liberty Baptist. So, uh, get excited about that. The final thing I'd want to mention uh, is uh, we've got um, three, th three individuals uh, related to the church um, who are graduating high school, or have graduated high school, and we bought them Bibles. So that's Devin, Dakota, and Emily. So many of you know them. Um, and we, we have the Bibles now. They're out back in the fellowship hall on one of the tables. And I'd encourage you, if you know Devin or Dakota or Emily, and you would like to write them a note of encouragement in their Bibles, those are there out back. So please, uh, if, if you'd like to do that, don't leave without doing that, because hopefully we're going to get those Bibles out to them this week. It's a good quality leather-bound study Bible that hopefully can last them uh, the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, and certainly be in prayer for, for those three as well as they're embarking out into the world. I think that's it. Thank you. The Bible I have right now is the uh, Bible that I got when I was in high school. And, uh, and you know what they say about the about worn out Bibles and everything. Well, I, I'm not, they say a lot of things about worn out Bibles, I'm sure, but, uh, <laughs> but it's good to have worn out Bibles uh, that you've had for years that, uh, that have had long hours of, of study, et cetera. So that's a good thing. All right, let's open this morning's service with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for again the opportunity of being in your house today we thank you for this fourth of july weekend where we can remember the freedom that we have in this country and that we're not restricted as far as our faith is concerned although some would like to see that we pray that you'd help us to be diligent in our faith that as we go through our days that we would be uh, uh, showing the love of Christ to our neighbors and friends and co-workers that they might have a desire to know you as well. We pray that you'd watch over our service this morning. We pray that everything that we say and do will be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you would like to stand, our call to worship will be on the back of your bulletin. If you would stand, we will have our call to worship, and then we will sing number eight in the green book. Let's stand. And that will be on the back of your bulletin. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Con oh, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Amen. And now let's sing number eight in your green book. Yahweh, our God. day. 
Whew. Ooh, out of breath there. Yeah. And um, before our scripture reading, we, the uh, ushers would come forward for the morning offering. And if you have any prayer requests, you can put one of those little prayer uh, slips in the offering plate as it goes by. Thank you that as the song goes that Dottie was just playing little as much when you are in it. We thank you for this opportunity to give. We thank you for how you've blessed each one of us. We pray that you would take this offering, that you would use it and multiply it for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Romans 6. If you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it. Do you, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
to, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as, mem as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when, you are, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now if you would turn to number 11 in your blue book, let's stand and sing... Come thou found, number 11, come thou found. We'll sing all three verses. Come thou found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise his name I'm fixed upon it name of God's redeeming love hitherto thy love has blessed me thou hast brought me to this grace and I know taught me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood oh to grace how great a 
debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wonder Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love here's my heart oh take and seal it seal it for thy courts above and now if you turn with me to Number 568 in the blue book, 568. And I'm told this goes to a tune that I know, I believe. Let's sing verses 1, 3, and 6. Verses 1, 3, and 6. to sing that one a little more often. Beautiful, some beautiful words in that hymn. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. Okay, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning awed at your grace, awed at your power and your might, amazed, Lord Jesus, that though you are in the form of God, dwelling in eternal glory, though all things were made through you, Lord Jesus, that when we turned from you and sinned, though you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and that being found in human form, you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We, we are amazed, Lord Jesus, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. 
We are amazed by your grace and we are astounded too by the power of your resurrection. We praise and thank you, Father, that you did not leave Jesus dead, that death was not able to hold him. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have highly exalted him, that he, Lord, the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he's ascended to heaven, and that you have bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise and exalt you this morning, Lord Jesus. You are our Lord and our, our glorious King. As we come to you in the light of your presence, we come with full awareness that to you all hearts are open, to you all desires are known, and that from you no secrets are hid. We acknowledge this morning and lament our sin. We come with true confession. We're deeply sorry for our transgressions. Our Father, when we, when we actually understand the reality of our sin and the reality of your holiness, apart from Christ, the burden of our sin is more than we can bear. And so we are left with no alternative but to run to Christ, to throw ourselves on your mercy, Lord Jesus. Have mercy, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your Son, our Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that by his blood, in his death and in his resurrection, that you would forgive us all that is past. And that in the power of his resurrection life, that you would grant that we may now serve you in newness of life. Resurrect us, we pray, to the honor and glory of your name. Let's take a moment now to quiet our hearts before the Lord, to confess our sins to him, and, and to thank him for his kindness. Hear now the word of God to all who truly turn to him from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We thank you, Lord, that you are a hiding place for us. You preserve us from trouble. You surround us with shouts of deliverance. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the salvation you've given us in Jesus. And we ask this morning that you would make our hearts very glad in knowing his grace. Father, we thank you for the gift of, 
of living in this nation. We thank you for the, the gift of our community and our state and our nation. And I pray, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with gratefulness to you over this weekend as we celebrate the, uh, the independence of our nation. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you'd, that you'd bless the fortunes of our country. That, um, Lord, most importantly, that you'd turn our hearts to you. You've given us so much, perhaps, perhaps more than any other nation ever to exist in terms of material wealth and blessings. And Lord, I fear that we've squandered it. And so I pray that you'd turn our hearts to you. We confess, Lord, we dwell amongst a people of, of unclean lips. And we confess, Lord, we ourselves are a people of unclean lips. We we do not serve you as we ought. And so we ask, Lord, that you would revive our hearts. Start with us, but Lord, revive, revive our nation, that we would turn to you, that we would turn to your word, that we would turn to you, Lord Jesus, and love you as we ought. We pray, Lord, your blessing over the celebrations this weekend. We pray that, again, that you would fill our hearts with joy at the many things you've given us. We thank you for occasions like this, and we pray, Lord, for safety uh, for those who are traveling and those who are handling pyrotechnics, Lord, that, uh, that the fire department wouldn't have to be called out this weekend. Father, we, uh, we, we praise you and we thank you for, for all, that we, you, all that we see you doing uh, in our families and in our community and and in this church. I thank you, Lord, for those individuals who are, uh, who are looking forward to being baptized in a month from now. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in their hearts, uh, that, uh, that this would be a, a, real, a really joyful thing, a joyful step of obedience to you, Lord Jesus, and, and a, real, uh, a real milestone to be able to, to uh, erect and to look back to and to, and to serve as a, as a testament to your faithfulness and a sign of your great kindness to us. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a day of, of great celebration for us, that uh, it wouldn't rain, and, uh, and that uh, you'd bless that celebration. And we pray, too, for the annual cookout, uh, which, will be, which will be later that week. And we pray, Lord, that you would, um, that, that, too, would be a great celebration, and that we'd see many people from our community come and, and join, uh, uh, join, the, join the feast. Uh, and, uh, and that we'd have lots of opportunities to, uh, to, to get to know the people in our community and to, um, and to celebrate summer with them and, uh, and to, to invite them, even in a small way, uh, into the sweetness of the community that we enjoy as a church. And we pray, Lord, that this might be a bridge for some of them to, to, to see the joy of this community and to be brought in. We pray, Lord, for more opportunities, not just in the cookout, but but uh, throughout our lives, uh, whether that be at work or running into the Circle K, wherever we are, that you'd give us opportunities to show the love of Christ to those who are around us and, and also to invite people uh, to look to you uh, and to respond to the gospel and to be a part of your, your church community. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us bold in evangelism and that you'd be at work in and through, in and through us as we, as we obey you. Lord, we, 
We thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be together. We thank you for the gift of this church community, and we thank you most of all for the gift of your Son, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would glorify your name, that you would glorify your Son through the rest of this service, that his name would be lifted up. And we pray, Lord, that you do this by your Holy Spirit, that you would be at work among us. We trust that you are present. We ask that you'd be active, that you'd change us, revive us, make us new by your word. Speak to us, O Lord, we, we pray, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you turn with me uh, to number four in your green book, we will sing, Hear My Prayer and Answer Me, number four in your green book. And let's stand and sing, please. Thank you. Well, you can open your Bibles with me this morning to First Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin this morning. As has been our, our habit the last couple of months, we're going to be all over the place in Scripture. But 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to start. We're continuing our journey this morning through our church's draft version, our proposed version of a confession of faith. This is a summary statement of what we believe as a church, which, uh, which we'd like to adopt as a congregation to, to be able to stand on and say, this is what we believe. And the, the section we're going to look at this morning is entitled, Of Sanctification. And you'll actually find that section um, in your bulletin, on the bulletin insert. So that, that's printed for you there. Sanctification is one of those words that's thrown around a lot in Christian circles. Maybe you've read it in your Bible or you've heard it in, in sermons. Uh, but it's, it's a word that we don't often stop to define. And, and maybe when you hear the word sanctification, it's sort of grand sounding, but it leaves you scratching your head. What does that actually mean, sanctification? Well, the confession is, is going to give us a good definition, I think. Sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. So most simply, sanctification is to be made holy. Um, so the, that's the root of the word. Sanctus means holy in Latin. So sanctification is to be made holy. And we've already touched on this idea of holiness in our confession of faith. Remember, it was a number of weeks ago that we, we said that God is, back in section 2, inexpressibly glorious in holiness, right? Just like the angels around the throne in Isaiah 6, what did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. To say that God is holy is to say a couple of things. It's to say that God is set apart, that he's greater than us, he's beyond us, and also that he's morally pure, He's perfectly righteous, unspotted, unstained in all that he is and does. God is holy. And the reason we have the word sanctification to be made holy is that God is holy and we are not. As Christians, and we've already, we've already confessed this this morning, right? That we are sinners and we trust in Christ that because of Jesus' work, his death and resurrection, that by faith in him, we can actually be forgiven. That our right, unrighteousness can be removed from us and that we are, we are given the very righteousness of Christ. That for those of us who trust in God, we've been forgiven, actually justified. That's the, the biblical word. We've been justified. We've been made righteous before a holy God. Okay. So legally, in terms of a legal standing, that's where we are as Christians this morning. No matter, no matter how sinful your week has been, if you trust in Christ, God looks at you and he sees Christ's righteousness. He sees holiness. That's justification. And what a gift that is. But that's, in one sense, only the beginning of the Christian life. Now that we've been made legally, positionally righteous before God, God now calls us, Christ now calls us, actually to pursue 
enacted, lived out righteousness. That the righteousness of Christ would actually begin to transform our hearts and that we would actually begin to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness, to become more like our holy God. This is what Peter commands in 1 Peter 1 and verse 14. Listen to these words. He says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but, listen to this, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is God's call on our lives. That's our calling. That's our marching orders as Christians. It's a very daunting command, right? Be ye holy even as I am holy. It is daunting, but I want us to be encouraged that as we consider this daunting call, this high call to holiness, that God has not left us alone to pursue this, this on our own strength. That this work of sanctification um, is also a grace of God. We have a responsibility, a clear scriptural responsibility to pursue holiness, but praise God, we don't have to rely on our own strength to achieve it. The responsibility to pursue holiness is ours, but the power to grow in holiness is God's. And the wonderful promise that we're going to explore this morning is that if we belong to Christ, you already possess the power to grow in holiness in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a bit. But I want to start by reading in 1 Thessalonians 4. So let's, let's read that. We're just going to read the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, and then we're going to ask God's blessing over our time this morning. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would give us grace this morning to understand these words. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Please reveal to us this morning and give us an understanding of your holiness, your gloriousness, all that you are, that as we look to you, we would be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, 
whose righteousness is already ours, that in your eternal kingdom, our righteousness would, would glitter like, uh, like the glory of Christ forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a time for a, f- a number of years that I was leading a number of uh, Bible studies on the UMaine campus uh, for, uh, for young men at UMaine through the, the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, it was a great fellowship. They asked all kinds of questions. But the one question that young men at the University of Maine who are seeking to pursue Christ seemed to ask over and over and over again was this one, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? What should I do with my vocation? Where should I live? Should I go on a mission trip this summer? Who should I marry? What is your will for my life? How should I make these decisions? What car should I buy? Whatever, you know. Asking all these questions. It's good to ask all those questions. And those are kind of the natural questions for a young person to ask at that stage in life when they're handing everything over to the Lord. But some of those questions are harder to answer than others. Some of them are harder to answer than others because in in some areas of life, God's will is less easy to determine than others. In some areas of, of life, God makes his will very clear to us. In, other, in others, it's less clear. In the question of which, which uh, deli meat I should buy in the meat aisle, right? I think he leaves those things up to us, right? We shouldn't expect a vision from heaven about that, that kind of decision, right? Um, he leaves that to our wisdom. But there's other things that are very clear in Scripture. And one of those things is what was just made clear in the passage we just read. This is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. As Christians, we may have many questions about our obligations before God, what he would have us to do, which way he would have us to go, how he would have us to serve or live or work, etc. But one thing is very clear and should never be confused. No matter the circumstances, no matter how unique our circumstances might be, those of us who belong to Jesus have been called to holiness. This is the will of God your sanctification, to be holy even as God is holy. The confession defines sanctification this way. It says this, we believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. There's a lot that's helpful in that definition. First, it says that it's a process. Happens over time. That's encouraging. We'll talk more about that in a a moment. Second, that it is a process carried out according to the will of God, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. And not only that it's his will that we should walk in that way, but that actually it it even happens according to his will and his working. We'll talk more about that too. But third, I want to dwell on this for a minute. It specifies that In sanctification, we are made partakers in, partakers of his 
holiness. Partakers of his holiness. I think this is a wonderful way to put it. Holiness is not an abstract ideal. You can't fly off in space somewhere and find holiness, right? Find some tape measure that measures this is what holiness is, by which we measure God as holy and by which we measure ourselves as holy or unholy. That's not how it works. Holiness isn't an abstract ideal. Holiness is a person. We understand what holiness is because God is holy. Not just that he has holiness on his tool belt, that he is holy. He's the definition of holiness. He is the measure of holiness. Which is why when the confession says that in sanctification we grow in holiness, it says that we're made partakers in his holiness. To grow in holiness is by definition to be conformed to the image of God. To grow in holiness is to grow in godliness. And scripture teaches us that if we're going to grow in holiness, to be transformed in godliness, actually one, one very important way that happens is actually by looking to God. One of the passages mentioned in the, the footnotes in this, the original version of this confession is 2 Corinthians 3, which struck me this week as I read it. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. The Apostle Paul here is describing how God transforms us. This is what he says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see the connection here that he's making? He's saying, as we behold, we are transformed. That it's as we look to the glory of God, as we worship him, as we behold him, that we are actually changed. In calling us to holiness, God is calling us to become like him by beholding him. Not to become God, but to become like him by gazing at the glory of who he is. Because it's actually through admiring him and worshiping him that we become like him. I want, to think about, I want us to think about this idea for a minute. We are imitative creatures. We become like that which we admire. The, the poet William Blake very famously said, we become what we behold. I think is exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching us there. The more we hang around people that we admire, the more we pick up their values, their sense of humor, even their mannerisms. I've noticed this as I'm learning how to be a dad. I'm discovering day by day just how deeply I was shaped by my dad in ways that I never even realized. Just by looking up at him, literally, as a kid, day after day, and listening to his voice day after day, I became like him in ways that I can't fully explain. I find often that I actually hear my dad coming out of my mouth when I talk to Nora or to Ransom. His mannerisms, his silly ways of talking to us as kids, even his expressions of frustration coming out of my mouth. I was like, oh, that's my dad. 
Not because I'm trying to be like my dad. It's because I can't help it. We become what we behold. And of course, our ultimate calling as Christians is to have our hearts and lives conformed to our Heavenly Father, to His character, to worship Him, to long for Him, to look to Him, to hear His voice, to behold Him, and as we behold His love, mercy, grace, joy, holiness, all that He is, we're actually meant to be shaped by Him, to become like Him in His holy character. Transformation, growth in holiness, begins by beholding God. We grow in holiness only as beholders of and partakers in his holiness. So, if you're here this morning and you're feeling stuck in your sanctification, you feel like you've plateaued, let me ask you this. What's your worship life look like? Do you have a discipline of beholding God of looking at him often in his word, beholding him and then worshiping him in prayer? In a real way, how often in an average week do you lift up your heart to God in real praise and prayer where the goodness and holiness and character of God genuinely strikes you? The sweetest saints, the Christians closest to the heart of Christ are the ones who are ever meditating on the heart of Christ himself, beholding the heart of God in Jesus Christ. Whether they're doing the dishes, whether they're slogging away at work, whether they're playing with the kids, when they're at church, when they're mowing the lawn, when they're paying bills, whatever they're doing, they're meditating on the goodness of God and the glories of Jesus Christ. That will change you. First question, what is sanctification? We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. Second question has to do with timing. When does this happen? What's it look like? That's an important question. It's a question a lot of Christians wrestle with. Many Christians worry that their sanctification isn't happening fast enough. Maybe that's you. Maybe you worry that somehow you should have been able to stop sinning on a dime as soon as you came to Christ. Or at the very least, maybe you, you figure you should have figured it out by now. Or at least you should be further along. But what does the Bible teach about this? What does the Bible teach about the timing of sanctification? When does it start? When should it? How long will it take? Will it happen overnight? Confession has an answer. We believe that it is a progressive work and that it's begun in regeneration. I think this is so helpful. First of all, that it's a progressive work. Progressive meaning gradual, meaning happening over time. Growth in holiness is more like a child growing up than a light switching on. It doesn't happen in an instant. It's progressive. It's gradual. Sometimes there's growth spurts. New growth in sanctification can sometimes seem to snap into place overnight that doesn't seem to be the typical pattern we can't expect to grow all the way up in one instant 
Even in, in someone as, as great as the Apostle Paul, we see this being the case. Right? The Apostle Paul, one of the great evangelists of the early church, who, whose conversion was certainly earth-shattering and radical and all at once, he admits he doesn't have it all figured out. Philippians 3, verse 12, what does he say? Philippians 3, 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He says, I'm not. You may think I am. You may expect me to be as an apostle. I haven't. I haven't already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. But what does he say? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul's sanctification was not yet perfect. He was striving for it. He's working for it. But he knew he didn't have it figured out. So we can keep that in mind. Remember the Apostle Paul, you perfectionists who wish you were able to grow up overnight. Growth in sanctification sometimes comes in, in growth spurts, but more often it comes over time. A child's growth can be almost imperceptible day by day, but when you see Johnny at Christmas after you haven't seen him for six months, what do you say? Johnny, you've grown a foot, right? And he has. He probably didn't notice, but you have. And we will grow too if we're in Christ, even if we feel like we've been five forever and we're never going to turn six. All we have to do to reassure ourselves is to check the family photos from a few years ago and see, oh yes, I've changed. I've grown. You might not be perfect, but take heart, you're growing. The other thing to note here about timing is that the confession claims that sanctification is begun in regeneration. And this ties together with, with actually the next question. The first question is, what is regeneration? Second is, when does it happen? And the third is, well, how does this happen? How does sanctification happen? And the confession goes on to, to lay out the, the source and power of sanctification. We believe that it, sanctification, is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter. If sanctification is a work of the Spirit, then it begins when the Spirit of God begins to work on our hearts. It begins in regeneration, when we first come alive to God in Jesus Christ. There's a number of passages in Scripture that make clear sanctification is a work of God. One is in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, where the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Thessalonica. And what does he say? He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays that God would do this work that God would sanctify them. Similarly, in Philippians 2, and this passage holds together really well how sanctification is both God's work and our work. Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are being sanctified if we are in Christ by the working of God, and specifically by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus is not on earth any longer. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, but before he left, he made great promises to his disciples. What did he say? John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God's power and presence for sanctification in our hearts comes in and through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be sanctified. First of all, apart from the work of the Spirit, we cannot even see the kingdom. We've looked at this recently, right in John 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that apart from the Spirit of God, we, we can't even understand the gospel. The Word of God won't make any sense to us until we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But to those who have the Spirit of God, to those who have been filled with and who are led by the Holy Spirit, born again, these ones, we are told, will bear fruit. The fruit of holiness, godliness, and Christ-likeness. Right? This is Galatians 5 and verse 22, where Paul lays out the, what growth in Christ-likeness looks like. What does he say? Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This fruit in our lives is, according to Paul, spirit fruit. He bears it. Sanctification is, in that sense, a work of God. This is why the confession states, we believe that sanctification is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter. Now let's take a moment here because we should be careful. And be careful with this. So as not to so overemphasize the work of God in sanctification as to assume that, well, God's the one who'll do it. I can recline in my lazy boy and sit back and let him change me, right? Is that the biblical picture? Not at all. If that's our picture, get rid of it. After all, in that very passage where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he commends us to walk in the Spirit. We actually have a part in this. If we're going to bear fruit in the Spirit, we have to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The fruit belongs to the Spirit, but we have to walk in Him if He's going to bear it in us. Again, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 hold this tension together really well. Okay, so let's come to this passage asking, is sanctification God's work or our work? Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's working in sanctification, us or God? Yes, yes. We work it out because he's working within. And Paul actually tells us this is a reason to wake up. He says, this is serious. Have some fear and trembling around this because God is working in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in this week. God is working in you. The same God who spoke the cosmos into being, who threw the stars into the sky, who holds all things together by the power of his will, is at work in you, Christian, when you get out of bed or when you go to do the dishes. That ought to be encouraging. And it also ought to be a little terrifying in the best possible way. Fear and trembling. It ought to wake us up to get out of bed and be about the business of sanctification. How does sanctification happen? Well, we've looked at the God side of this equation. We believe that sanctification is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter. But what does that actually look like in our lives? And how how would it look like for us to actually walk in the Spirit if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit? What would it look like this week? Is there a trail map somewhere that can tell us where the Spirit walks so we can walk with Him? Where do we find Him? And I appreciate that the confession is is sort of refreshingly clear in terms of giving us really practical ways in which the Spirit will work. We believe that sanctification is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter, in the continual use of the appointed means, especially the word of God, the ordinances, the ministry of the church, fasting, and prayer. This word means is so helpful. Means are things that are used. And so here, means are things that God uses for his particular end or purpose, right? Like a Like we use a hammer to pound a nail, God uses means to accomplish ends. Now, sometimes God acts without means. Sometimes God just directly and radically acts in a person's life with a a vision or a word from heaven, right? This is the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, Jesus is there and everything has changed, right? But ordinarily, God acts in our lives through, through means. He uses things, things in the world to change us, to speak to us. And ordinarily, he uses his appointed means, meaning the ways he's told us in his word that he's going to change us, 
Typically, how does God work in our lives? Well, he uses means. He works on us through his word. He speaks to us through his people. He changes our hearts through prayer. He softens us to the gospel through the ordinances, through baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's It's not to say that the Spirit can't work in any way he pleases. He can. Spirit even spoke through a donkey once in Numbers. That doesn't mean we should be seeking out donkeys to hear the will of God, right? God has these these ordinary, usual, appointed means through which he he works. So what are those appointed means? Well, the, the confession doesn't try to exhaust the list. It doesn't try to tell us every way in which God works in this way, but it, it makes a short list of some of the most important. What's the list? Well, it says the word of God, the ordinances, the ministry of the church, and fasting and prayer. These ones are big. The confession starts by listing the word of God. Do you want to walk in the spirit? Do you want to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness? Read the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Pray the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Do you want to walk with the spirit? You have his book in your hands. Don't be surprised that when you actually begin to open it in a heartfelt way that he'll begin to work on you. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is alive. And it's one of the primary pathways of the spirit. It'd be foolish of us to think that we could grow in godliness to walk in the spirit without walking in his word. Next, the confession mentions the ordinances. So this is baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's what we mean when we say ordinances. There's a whole section on these later in the, in the confession. We'll get to that. Um, but it's enough to say that, that these two things are incredible gifts from Jesus to encourage us in the gospel. And, and from one angle, the value of baptism and the Lord's Supper is that they help us to behold God. They help us to see heavenly realities in tangible terms. In baptism, the Spirit shows us our cleansing, our forgiveness, our sins washed away in Lake St. George. Right? He paints us a picture right there in front of us. Behold, the gospel. In the Lord's Supper, the Spirit shows us again and again every time we come to the table the sacrifice of Christ, his body broken for our healing, his blood shed for our sin, right? In tangible terms, every time we come to the table, God shows us here, behold, the love of God. The love of God. If true transformation comes by beholding the glories of God, Baptism and the Lord's Supper are are sacred tools in the Spirit's tool belt to accomplish that. We should expect that when we come to these things, that God is actually at work in these things. Next, the confession mentions the ministry of the church, and this is huge. One of God's primary appointed means for our sanctification is each other. This is Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
How do we get stirred up to love and good works? We need each other to do this, right? It goes on, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. According to Scripture, we need each other. We need the ministry of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need their prayers. We need their encouragement. We need their insight. We need their presence. Week after week, reminding us of the things we know and need to remember. We need their voices week after week, singing to us the glories of the gospel, even as we sing to them. And God has appointed, we speak about appointed means, God has actually commanded that the local church, this kind of gathering, is actually essential for our sanctification. This body right, is one of God's appointed means for growing us in Christ's likeness. And this is, this is why I grieve for people who decide for any number of reasons to opt out of the fellowship of the local church. Because when we opt out of the local church, we actually opt out of the Spirit's work in our lives through the church. We opt out of a whole community of people filled and gifted by the Holy Spirit to bless us. In opting out of the church, we opt out of one of the greatest gifts of God for our encouragement and sanctification. Finally, the confession mentions prayer and fasting as two more important means in our sanctification. It's worth asking the question, how can we grow in godliness if we never talk to God? How do we ever expect to have power in our spiritual battle without prayer? There's a reason why Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. And similarly, in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is power for the spiritual battle. Power for resisting temptation and discouragement power to persevere with joy through trials, power to be conformed more and more to the image of God. That's just a short list of the means the Spirit uses in our sanctification, but it, it's a good start, and it's worth asking as we finish up this morning, are there things on that list you're neglecting? Have you become inconsistent in your time in the Word? Engagement with Scripture can take a lot of different forms, but it has to happen in some form if we're going to grow. Have we become casual in our attitude towards baptism and the Lord's Supper, or do we actually look forward to these things as gifts through which the Spirit will bless us, wonderful ways in which we can behold the glories of God? Have we become consistent, active parts of a local church actively encouraging and being encouraging being encouraged or do we sit on the sidelines have we become cold in our prayer lives is it time to set aside time to reconnect with god is it time to push ourselves again to pray without ceasing integrating a conversation with god into all the nooks and crannies of our day 
And I'd encourage you this morning, if the Lord is, is pressing on, on you in one or another of those, those areas this morning, listen. Listen. Make a plan to walk down that path this week with the Spirit, to press in, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We believe that sanctification is a process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. We believe that it is a progressive work, that it is begun in regeneration. We believe that it is carried, out, carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter in the continual use of the appointed means, especially the word of God, the ordinances, the ministry of the church, fasting, and prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We're so grateful for the reconciliation that Christ has won for us. We're grateful for the forgiveness you've shown to us. We're grateful that we've been brought into your courts so that we can actually dwell with you and behold you and know you in your word and in prayer and in the gathering of your people. And we ask, Lord, that, that you would have mercy on us that as we learn to walk in the Spirit, that you would be changing us and transforming us, that you would make us more and more into the image of Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you begin that work even this week that you'd show us ways in which we can be more faithful in walking with the Spirit, and that as we do so, you would give us the joy of seeing you at work and of experiencing your sanctifying power, and that as that happens, you would receive all the glory, Lord Jesus, in our lives and forevermore. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This time I'll have the deacons come up. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, it's fitting after, sp after spending some time together thinking about how the Lord uses things like this to encourage us that we should actually come to the table. So here's, here's object lesson one, right? Um, we're going to come to the table this morning. It, if indeed it's true, and I think it is true, that we're transformed into the image of God actually by beholding God, this is a great opportunity for us to come to the table and these simple elements, right, in the cup and in the bread, to remember and to behold the love of Jesus Christ that he has shown for us, right? Jesus has given this as a gift. Christians have been doing this ever since Jesus ascended to the Father, right? Taking bread, taking the cup, eating together, right? and remembering Christ, remembering his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And so I'd want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been washed by his blood, please come to the table. And we're going to eat together a meal with Jesus. And I'd encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, if this morning you say, I don't think I'm able to go to the table, I'd want to encourage you. This table is open to anyone who would come to Jesus in faith. Eternal life is here Right? Jesus is here, and he calls anyone who would come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you don't feel like you're able to come to the table this morning, I want to encourage you. 
you can get to that point. This is not about deserving anything. It's about saying, yes, Jesus, I have nothing to bring to the table, but your sacrifice is totally sufficient, and I trust you, and I love you. Amen? Amen. All right. Kevin, would you ask a blessing over the Lord's table as we come to it? forever and ever.